So, Father O'Malley answered the phone. Hello, is this Father O'Malley? It is. This is the IRS. Can you help us? Get this to the drummer. Can you help us? And he says, I can. And the IRS says, do you know a Ted Houlihan? And the father says, I do. The IRS says, is he a member of your congregation? Father says, he is. The IRS says, did he recently donate $100,000 to the church? And Father Mallow says, he will. <laughs> Happy text. Isn't that fun? Uh, so, what a magnificent um, Sunday we had last year together, huh? And one of the things we talked about was the story of the Passover, or the story of the Exodus, um, because we are in Passover, the time of Passover, uh, that's coming to an end. And I felt inspired to continue the story, and I'll recap for those of you who weren't here last week, um, very, very quickly. Uh, the uh, Israelites are held in captivity in Egypt. Um, and Pharaoh is in charge of Egypt, and he's keeping them as slaves for generations and generations. And Moses is called to go and tell Pharaoh to set his people free. Pharaoh says no several times. The uh, consequences of Pharaoh saying no over and over become more and more extreme until finally Pharaoh lets the Israelites go. Now these are, you know, many, many, many people are set free. Moses is leading them the way. He gets to the Red Sea. Many of you know how it goes. They're at the Red Sea. The Egyptians have changed their mind. Pharaoh's wanting them back, so they're chasing them. And uh, suddenly uh, Moses puts his staff in the water and the Red Sea parts. The Israelites get to the other side. The water closes up on the uh, Egyptians. They all die. Don't worry about it. The one with God, they just went to the new incarnations. <laughs> problem there. <laughs> and the story goes where the Israelites are now what is called in the desert or in the time of wilderness. They have been slaves for generations and generations. It's all they know. You know what it's like when your consciousness just is where you come from. It's all you know. And you have thoughts of things maybe being different and better, but that, no way to really be able to establish that in your reality. The world is too much against you. And then suddenly a miracle occurs and you are freed and suddenly you're in a new land, a new possibility opens for you that you yourself could not have made possible. I really do um, believe that we stand here in the balance of knowing the power of our word and our ability to change our lives, which is indeed true, change your thinking, change your life. And we must always be in right balance with the truth of the mystical possibility and the moments in our lives where we are so clear that something happened for us, that we of ourselves, sure, we're in partnership on some level of it, but the grand design of it occurring the way that it did was not of our making. Can anyone relate to that experience? A few of us. <laughs> I'm you, I shall build this talk. Um, that's where the Israelites find themselves. In a time of difficulty, in a time of confusion, in a time of uncertainty, there, there's new rules, a whole new roadmap, and they do not know how to be there. They stepped out on faith to get themselves there. But once there, they found themselves so uncertain. Many of them quickly lost their faith. And as it says in the story, they began to murmur. 
I love that. I talk about that often. They murmured. They complained. We have lots of murmurers in the world, don't we? Lots of murmurers. They get themselves into a new idea, into a new construct, into a new way of being. And suddenly, it's not quite right. We don't know how things work. And we start to complain. We start to make it wrong. In fact, some of them are like, let's go back to being slaves. At least at least we had food. And that's what can happen to us too when we don't know the way that we're going. When we don't see the path that's before us, we find ourselves thinking, oh, the past wasn't so bad. We start to find ourselves um, uh, delusional about what it used to be like because we're so longing for a little bit of comfort. It is at this point where the power of our word is so important. It is so important for us to pay attention. Murmurers do not understand that it is by their word that they will be lifted up it was by, or it is by their word that they will suffer. Most people find themselves living in what is called a house divided or a mind that is divided. And we must be very, very, very careful to pay attention to when you find yourself in a divided mindset, meaning that one side of you is saying all things are good, another part of you is complaining all day long. And what happens when you're divided like that is you just become neutralized. The power of your word for positivity and the power of your word for negativity neutralizes your experience. And then what happens is you find yourself just floating sort of wayward, attracting whatever randomly can show up. You don't want to be a random manifester of your life. You want to be an intentional maker of your life. And the way that we do this, especially when we find ourselves in times like the Israelites are, which is a time of newness. A time of rebirth, a time of recreation, where the way of the past no longer serves and the way of the future is not yet designed. The power of the word in that potent time of creativity can, can absolutely dictate the course and in fact does dictate the course that you're on. We must in our spiritual practice, in our lives, rise up out of the sloppiness with which we use our words. It's so important and it's so easy when we land with old friends, with family, with people that know us from um, other ways of being. Uh, It's so easy to fall into those patterns of gossip, into those patterns of complaining, into just sort of relaxing down physically, mentally, and emotionally into a way that is less than high and holy. And it is those times where the creative law is indeed still being activated. All the time, the law of creation is occurring. And it's simply imagine just sitting there going, what do you want to create? And whatever words you speak is what occurs. What is happening in the world is simply happening. And see, when we don't understand that as a spiritual truth, then we forget and we start to complain about what is happening. We start to make up stories about what is happening in the world. We do not realize that that what is occurring is occurring and our experience is being caused by how we are talking about it and relating to it. That's the key point. And that is what I want us to focus on. And that's... A key point in this story because they found their tribe quickly divided. They found themselves with their group of murmurers 
and complainers and people that were losing faith and they had people that were faithful and here's Moses trying to organize all this and trying to figure out what to do with all this and every single piece, every step that they take is making a difference according to not where they're going because the path where they will land will is guaranteed. Where you're going, your wholeness, your revelation of God is your life is guaranteed. But dang, you want to take 80 years or you want to take 20? That's the part that you get to play. You get to play a part in deciding how long the awakening process will be. And what we say and how we relate to what is happening is where it makes the difference. Very often we will say in our unenlightened spaces, this is so bad. And so it is, right? Or we might be in a happy and enlightened space. This is, there's so much possibility in this moment. And so it is, right? Or you find yourself on the other end again. This really, really, really stinks. And so it is. And so it is. So important. So important. What do we say when we don't know what to say in those moments? Because if you find yourself in a moment where the appearance doesn't look good, the feeling of it doesn't feel familiar, and, and you're starting, your body's starting to react and label and starting to contract, you're starting to feel pains and resistance within your body, within your thought system, what do you do? What do you say? I've got a couple options for you that are really important. The first thing is I invite us all to practice not saying anything. What if you just didn't talk? I really do believe others would be happier. I hate to tell you the truth. I think everyone else would be okay with that. I do. And if you'll free, if you'll just take a pause and not speak, if you'll just be for a moment, if you can find that, and that that's not an easy find in the beginning. I don't want to make light of that. That could be a hard find in the beginning. When we're stirred, when we're activated, when the feelings are going, oh, we want to speak. We want to do something. But if you can find it, if you can find the moment to pause and not speak, there's one simple phrase that is one, two, three, four, five, six words. Six words will absolutely change the entire course that you're on. It will absolutely change the experience. And it simply is, God is right where I am. God is right where I am. If you want to go for eight, you can say or nine. The presence of God is right where I am. That simple sentence will begin shifting what's happening inside of you because the experience of life is taking place on the inner plane. The inner plane, the outer world is just doing what it does. But your reaction to it is what is labeling it, um, projecting upon it, and creating your experience of it. And if you can find a place to say, God is right where I am, the power of your word then begins to activate on a very deep cellular level an awakening. It's like you're suddenly there's like, um, I'm going to a car analogy, which is a really bad idea. <laughs> I was talk about hockey. If you will say God is right where I am, it's like the spark plugs start shooting. They start 
doing what they do. It's so tiring. And new possibilities immediately start from even if you pause, don't speak inside, you say, God is right where I am. And then you go back into the old story and you play it again, which we do. Come on, we do. It's still different somehow. Somehow. Even if you land on the same side and you walk home after whatever, you go, oh, I did the gossiping. I had the same conversation. I got stuck in that same rut. I got stuck in that same rut. The fact that you called forth the presence of God for a moment, you can be assured that something is shifting. There is a waking up that is happening. Throughout all the murmuring, the Israelites were faithful. And their faith helped them. The story goes that God provided miraculous water and manna from heaven. Now, in my mind, in my fantasy world here in that story, I literally see loaves coming down from the sky. They just drop and plop right in front of them and water just appears. That's the image that the story makes. The challenge of that image is that it makes us think that God is dead. It makes us think, well, if I can't have bread drop from the sky, then God is not real. The story becomes confusing. But metaphysically, very simply, all it means is that their needs were met. The next need that needed to be met, somehow life worked. They figured out the next step. When it was time to eat, somehow the universe aligned itself and revealed nourishment for them. That is the law that was working. Now it appeared to be miraculous because if you will get in touch with how much this universe is actually for you, when you really get a glimpse of how very little you are doing to cause life to occur, you will be in the same kind of awe. You will say, manna is falling from heaven in my life. That is what occurs. That is what occurs when you realize deeply and profoundly how supported you are. Now, a lot of us are asleep to this idea because we think we're making it happen. We're living in the illusion and the delusion that life is occurring because we're making it happen, that, that we're in control. But remember, our thoughts make a difference indeed. Our words we speak indeed make a difference. And then there is the miracle of life itself that is working for us. Laws get activated and suddenly there's something magnificent. That's what they were experiencing. When they were lost, when they didn't know which way to go, when they didn't know where their next meal would come from, somehow the universe itself aligned for them to take their next step. This gift is not just for the Israelites. This is the same thing for you. And it is our faith that allows this to be activated. It is our willingness to not name anything as wrong or broken that allows the universe to be for us. It's sort of like the whole universe is here and it's just here for you. It is so here for you, whatever you need, baby, whatever you need, baby, whatever you need, baby. But you go, this doesn't work, this is broken, I can't, I can't find it. Suddenly there's a wall right up around you energetically and the universe is on the outside of it. Going, whatever you need, baby, whatever you need, baby. But you put up a wall to block the flow. It's what we all do. I'm not blaming you. You just got to get conscious. You got to get hip to how powerful you really are. And to realize that behind that, you see, this is where the faith can come in. You can go, there's a wall of resistance here. But greater than this wall of resistance is the glory of God on the other side of it. And that's where I'm going to place my attention. 
I'm going to place my attention on the other side of this resistance. I need an amen or something. I'm out here alone. When we place our, our attention on the other side of the wall, then miracles begin to unfold. And you begin to experience that manna from heaven. This woman named Sally, she lost everything years ago in Hurricane Katrina. She was an old woman. She was a very proud and a very faithful woman. She did not have much, but what she had, according to her, was more than enough. So Katrina comes in, and she watched her stuff float right on by. And she was grateful that she remained alive, but everything she owned mostly disappeared or landed in heaps and piles. And she stood back, and she did not say a word. And she looked around, and she saw her neighbors moaning and screaming and wailing and blaming God and the government. And she sat still and she watched. And she did not say a word. People started thinking she was crazy. She must have gone mad. She must be so overwhelmed by what's occurring that she's gone crazy in her mind. People come up and say, Sally, are you okay? She'd simply say, I'm fine. I'm fine. One of the few things she found in the rubble was her old rocking chair. So she set up her rocking chair where her home used to be or parts of her home remain. And she sat in it. And she rocked. And food came. And water found its way to her. And she had thought, should I go somewhere? But she'd see people going and coming and changing and going. And she just didn't see any clear path for her to go. So she remained where she was and simply allowed life to serve her. One day, one of her neighbors, staring at her in disbelief, said, Why are you so calm? What is going on with you? Are you okay? Do you see what is happening around here? And finally she spoke. And she said, God is here. I know it. I absolutely know it. And I know it. So why would I speak differently? Just because a bunch of people are running around not believing all is well, should I follow them or follow my heart and my God? That was her question. The combination of her faith and the right use of her words or no words caused all to be well while everybody else was in hell. The right, the combination of your faith and the right use of your word or not, not speaking can cause all to be well when it looks like all is in hell. It is that much power. You are that powerful. Times of change are enormously creative. When we are in one of those parentheses of life where the old is not working and the new is being born, who we choose to be during those times will make all the difference around where you ultimately land. Where most people lose faith is in the waiting. Most people lose faith because of our impatience. We must wait for the Lord, or Lord, by the way, metaphysically means law. We must wait for the laws of the universe to work in our favor in the world of form. In the world of spirit, when you speak a truth, it's done. It is established, imagined, invisible plane where you say, I want this, I want this to be manifested, this is what I know, boom, it appears. It is. It is, it is like an imprint in the infinite mind and the, and the quantum field of pure potentiality. Your word creates an instant imprint into the energy field. 
the time that takes for that to move from the imprinted spirit into the world of form, that's where we lose our patience. Our impatience causes premature creation, which causes frustration and unfulfillment, which causes a lack of faith. This is an important statement, so I want you to hear this again. Your impatience causes you to move into premature creation. You try to make it happen. You push against the river. That actually causes frustration. You will experience unfulfillment, and in that, you will lose your faith. Let's say you met someone Friday. (laughs) Decided to have fun with them Friday night. Sunday morning, they're sitting in your kitchen, and you're extremely irritated by the way they're eating, and you're thinking, I'm disgusted by this person. (laughs) You might want to say, I may have prematurely created what I want to. Right? If you purchased an outfit two sizes smaller, thinking that you're going to lose 10 pounds in five days, and then you show up to the event in your sweatpants, you might want to say, I may have prematurely purchased what I think I need. Let's do a third one so no one gets left out. I love the, I love making them up. <laughs> Let's say you're on a cruise with your family for two weeks. Oh. <laughs> you did a forgiveness workshop. You forgave them. All is good. Suddenly you're at the stern of the boat contemplating if you can swim 75 miles. You may have prematurely moved into what is possible for you. We get the yes, we feel the yes, we feel the joy, we pray up the truth. We absolutely know it's real and then sometimes we just jump too fast. Because we don't know the preciousness of waiting. And it is in the waiting that is our time for our spiritual transformation. You see, when you declare something as yours that is currently outside of the realm of your possibility, when you say this to be true through the power of prayer, just a strong intention, and you feel that yes, and the universe goes bam, and it's there, you're going to come back to your world, to the world of form, and it's going to take some time for you to vibrate in that new idea. And the time is precious, and the waiting is the time where we can do our spiritual practice, where we can commune with God, where we can contemplate, who will I be in this new idea of health, of wholeness, of relationship, of spiritual power, of service, whatever it is. Who you will be in this divine idea, in the world of form, that's where the waiting takes place. And that's where the danger of your mental house being divided, that's where that also takes place. It's in that time of waiting. It's the impatience. It's the inability to be in the present moment. It's the inability to say, this is done. This is done. It has been established. Now who shall I be in relationship to that done idea now? What am I thinking? What am I saying? What's occurring? The Israelites became impatient. 
Moses was up in the mountain speaking to God. Now what that simply means metaphysically is probably he was sitting there in meditation. But when on high, he went deeply into the connection with the spirit of his being because he didn't know what the heck he was doing. Suddenly he's got all these people following him. A year ago, he was a shepherd by himself in the fields. He's a little confused too. But he knows what to do. He goes on high. He goes to the mountaintop. He communes with God. While he's in this deep relationship building, getting direction, getting next steps, getting inspiration, being inspired on what is his to-do and how he is to help these people. He's getting all of this. And you know what the people do? Jews, what do they do while he's at the mountaintop? Anyone? Creates a golden calf. Thank you, Jew. (laughs) I'm really bad today. I'm sorry. They create a golden calf. They create a false idol. They can't wait. Moses is just sitting there in the tent with his eyes closed. What the heck is he doing? We got to figure out what to do. So in their impatience, they build a golden calf to worship. They go back to their old ways. They return to worshiping. They, they return to getting their needs met to getting uh, instant gratification. They return to feeling good now because they can't stand the waiting by creating a false idol. I don't think they're alone in that, people. I think we do the same thing. In our impatience, in our, in our inability to wait on the Lord, to pray with the Lord, to be in our stillness, even though it doesn't feel still, we also begin to create false idols. The drugs, the alcohol, the sex, the, the computer, the, the television, the, the thinking, the, the codependent, anything of this world. What we want next, the baubles, the bangles, and the beads that will attract. We, we, we lose ourselves in these things. By the way, these are all sacred experiences, no doubt about it. But it's when we're using it to escape, when we're using it to for, for other than experiencing the glory of God, that's when we feel That when we're using it in the time when we should be really waiting and being still. But we can't seem to sit still, so we make a false idol. When you invest your energy into a false idol, you are putting your power outside of yourself. It's what we do all the time. We put our power a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit there. That's what we do all day long, sometimes. Sometimes It's the job, it's the money, it's the date, it's the whatever it is. We put it out in little bits. By the end of the day, we feel depleted and drained. And we haven't spent enough time waiting and being with the Lord. So Moses comes out. He sees his golden calf. He's been working hard and writing on tablets. And they don't have pen and paper there, so that's a lot of work. (laughs) And he sees this. Now in the story, this is interesting, and these old stories can really kind of haunt us, because in the story, it says God is so furious, he wants to kill them all. That's not a very nice God, is it? That's not a very patient God, is it? At all. It's just representing the energy of going against the law. It just represents, and it represents um, the strength of this thing called anger. The strength of, of this, this frustrated energy when we go against the, when we go against the natural flow of our lives, when we put our power outside of ourselves, when we keep doing this, there comes a point where you're furious, where you're absolutely sick of it, 
You are sick of abandoning yourself. You're so angry and you deserve to be angry. You deserve to have an absolute wailing of a time to release that energy. But in a, if we're unconscious about it, we spit it out and project that other people don't we? We misuse this transformative energy. The power of our anger can be used for good to get us back on course, to remind us what we're here for. But if we forget that we're the ones who built the golden calf to begin with, and then we are angry at that because it's not doing for us what it was never designed to do. I'm talking really fast. Are you with me on this? It's really important that we understand. We built the golden calf. We built the false idols. The false idols didn't fulfill us. We projected our power outside of ourselves. And now we're pissed off. Because it's not working. We're, but we've abandoned ourselves. We're lacking a sense of connection. Where's God? Where's God? God resides in the center of it all. You pause, you go back, and you say, right where I am, God is. That's your touchstone. Very often, we've got ourselves so far out to sea that it's hard to even find a life preserver. But it is the power of your word that will never fail you. No matter how far out you get right where I am, God is. Right now. Right now, you call that presence forward, and something will begin to change. The, the Israelites, the Jews, went through a long time of becoming. It says in the Bible, 40 years they spent in the wilderness or in the desert. And 40 metaphysically simply represents the time that it took. The time that it takes for you to move into the next consciousness. From the old way of being into the new, more expanded, awakened self. The time that it takes, that's what 40 represents. Many of us are in that time right now. I think that's what Bodhi's about. That's what, we, that's what we're coming together for. We are an attractive, I believe, vibration for all of us who have left the land. You woke up. You're awake on some levels. And you're finding yourself in the, how do I use this tool called prayer? How do I use this tool called meditation? How do I do this forgiveness thing? You're, you're being given the tools that you need to move through the desert land, to clear the way, to clear the path, so that you can land in this awakened consciousness. Now, this awakened consciousness is already who you are, but you need to realize it. You need to have a revelation of it. There's still, you're living in an unawakened state, so it feels like it's separate. So the journey from head to heart, the journey from unawakened to awakened, whatever you want to call it, the journey from slavery to freedom, it's all the same thing. And your power of your words during this time, the ability to wait and be patient and do your spiritual practice, to commune with the God of your being, to begin to understand its name, I'm saying this often now, there's 7 billion people in the world, there are 7 billion individual expressions and experiences of this thing called God. You got one of them. You are individually wired to know this something that doesn't even have a word, really, to know this life force. You are wired to know it intimately. And when you do, there's a miracle moment where you go, Ah, I am that! I am that! And that's when the awakening happens. And suddenly it's a whole new game. I honor you because you're so on that journey. And you're so close to it. You're touching it. You're just sort of doing a touch it back off. Touch it back off. Woo! 
Ooh, that's intense. Back off. Right? But you really can't go back. We can't go back. The world needs you to not go back. I love to say that. I love to put the weight of the world on your shoulders. Because I hope it'll make you pray a little more. I hope it'll make you go to practice a little bit more. It's what we're here for. We're here to wake up. We find ourselves in these times of, of uncertainty, not knowing who we're going to be. But the destination is absolutely guaranteed. It's guaranteed. And the only thing that's going to make the ride rough is you. And your spiritual practice, your communing with the Lord, your, your going inward, allowing the law itself to carry you. You get to be carried to the finish line. That's good news, isn't it? Yes. Awesome. Thank you. And so it is. Thank you.